Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Well, good evening. Let's uh, let's get started here. And uh, did we make it to Facebook? Did the internet pull through? All right, good. All right, so welcome to everybody that's watching on Facebook uh, live. We're going to, uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. We're going to start a new series tonight. And uh, I'm excited about it. We'll get some uh, understanding in some areas. I'm believing God, so I trust you'll believe with me. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, your word is so important to us. It's so valuable to us. We're very grateful for your word, Lord, and how it feeds us. It feeds our inner man. Lord, you said that your words were uh, bread, that they were meat. Lord, that they were milk. They give us spiritual nutrition. And it's important to have that nutrition so that we can be stable and firm. And we're grateful for that. Holy Spirit, as we approach this subject tonight, I ask that you continue to teach and lead and guide us. That you give me words to speak, utterance, as you would have it uh, to be said. That you give us understanding as we approach this subject um, and give us uh, truth that brings balance and light in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you're taking notes... I'm going to, the title of the series is called Free Will. Free Will is what I've entitled this. And uh, you can see by the image up there what we're going to talk about. I want to deal with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal a lot tonight with the idea of omniscience and sovereignty, both those two things. And uh, I'm going to go to the scriptures on it and uh, uh, take a look at defining those things. So tonight will really be more than anything, just kind of a, a framework for what we're going to do moving forward. Um, because there's a lot of things, there's different things that are said that I've heard said for years being in church, um, that I think sometimes don't leave the right impression about who God is. And I think sometimes, uh, more often than not, uh, leave an impression in people's minds that uh, that there's really no distinction or way to dis- to distinguish between uh, God's will, the devil's will, and man's will. And so I want to deal with all three of those. Um, not tonight. <laughs> that would be impossible. So, um, but we will we will hit some of them. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and you know this isn't this isn't Bible college. So I'm not gonna try and become a theologian all of a sudden with a doctorate in something because I don't have a doctorate in anything. Um, But I want to gain some understanding just to bring some perspective, some balance um, to this this idea and to this subject so that we don't um, mischaracterize God to other people uh, so that we can actually have an answer. Um, Because sometimes, I found a lot of times the answer is usually pretty clear. It's just one that we don't want to discuss is mostly what I found through the years. So um, believe with me, don't just, uh, don't just shift your mind into neutral, but keep me going here because um, it'll, be, it'll be good. I know it will be. So um, I want to begin a new series this evening concerning the sovereignty of God. My purpose is to look at the scriptures and allow them to shape the subject in our minds. The reason that I want to deal with this subject, because I have often heard statements made about God, mostly in difficult situations, that do not paint a fair picture of his true character and often leave an impression on people's minds that God's like the devil. How many of you have ever heard that before? Now, they won't say it, but what Jesus declared the devil, they'll they'll blame God for. So so we, we need to look at this in balance. As the body of Christ, we must... We have a responsibility to represent our Father correctly. In order to do this, uh, our understanding must be formed about Him from His words about Himself. No one can know God unless God reveals Himself through His word and by His Spirit. We don't just get to make up what God is like. That's called idol worship. Um, And so we don't get to do that. We need to allow the word to reveal who He is and the Holy Spirit to shape that in our minds. As we look to the scriptures for our answers, I believe that the Holy Spirit will bring balance to our minds concerning this subject. As we learn about God's nature, we will be better witnesses to our world. So let's do this straight off if you're taking notes. The first one is defining sovereignty. 
Let's look at what the word sovereignty means. First, I want to define this word. The other thing I would like to do is I'd like to point out that I was not able to find the word sovereign in the Bible. The only place that I was able, able to find it was in titles that man added for the description passages above the... So there is actually, I mean, unless it's somewhere I don't know, but I have a, I have a study software where I can plug in a word and it'll bring up every scripture. And it's not just, it's not just uh, uh, well, it's an expensive software. I'll just put it to you like that. So if it was there, I would find it, okay, because I've looked. Um, uh, the, that word is actually not in the Bible. So I'm going to define it by uh, dictionary.com is what I looked up. Um, and it means, sovereign means supreme in rank or having supreme rank. It means power or authority. It means greatest in degree, utmost or extreme. So I'm starting to understand why they use this word concerning God, okay? So just so you know. Finally, it means above all others in character, importance, and excellence. Above all others in character, in importance, and excellence. Let's go to Daniel chapter 4. So I looked this up in, uh, I have a theology book, we'll have a few of them, but uh, there's one that I was given at Rhema called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology, and what it is is the, uh, the theology book for the the denomination of the Foursquare Church, and it's one that basically it's a Pentecostal theologies. It's it's basically all of their general agreement on who God is, and they actually do have sovereign in there. Of course, there's not a scripture that says that, but that's in one of the characteristics of who God is 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 sovereign. And they use this passage in Daniel four. If you want to go to Daniel four, and I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse number. Well, to give it some context, I'll start in verse 28. So this is regarding King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? How many are familiar with King Nebuchadnezzar? He was the guy that decided to try and burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? Which didn't work out. And this is actually after that. So one thing you need to realize in context concerning this is that Nebuchadnezzar has already had some experiences with God. Okay, so you need to realize that in in regards to this. So he goes on, verse 28 says this, And this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about his royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice, uh, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, or seven years, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar had already encountered Jesus. Did you know that? Because there were four men in the fire, correct? Well, he only threw three in. And what did he say? He said, I see a fourth, and he looks like what? Yeah, he looks like the Son of God. So he knows who God is, and he knows it ain't him. But yet he, he has allowed what God has blessed him with to go to his head. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Sounds like Satan to me. But anyway, he's allowed this, these thoughts to feed him. And so he declares this out. I'm the man. I've done it all. It's by my mighty power. Right then, the voice of God from heaven speaks to him and says, you're going to be an animal boy. But that's essentially what he said. You think you're smart. And what God did is he reached down and went, whoop, and just pulled his understanding from him. Because who gave it to him? 
God gave him the ability to rule everything with that. So it's just amazing to me. So it says this, that very hour. How many like words that fulfill quick? Except for when they're like this, you know what I mean? Okay. That prophecy came back past right away, you know? That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now get this picture. He's the man one second. The next second, he's moo and got claws. You, you know what I mean? In other words, he, it switched in, in a quick, short amount of time. And he went from I know everything to I know nothing. To, uh, basically, I'm an I'm a animal in my, in my understanding. I can eat, sleep, and probably go to the bathroom, and that's about it. And he went that quick. Okay, verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. I guess. I mean, you go from cow to human again, you'll praise the Lord. Okay, in other words, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm the man. And God said, no, you're not. Okay, there was a there was a quick understanding of God's ability and power in this for. And Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? So this is a declaration by Nebuchadnezzar concerning who? Concerning the Lord, right? Okay. Now look at this. For his dominion is from everlasting to everlasting, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So this is the scripture that was given to define God being sovereign. Okay. Now, they didn't give a lot of scriptures. They gave this one. I thought about others that I could go to, but I don't want to spend a a ton of time on this. So let's go back to the definition of what it means to be sovereign. Finally, it is this, and this is the one I like the best. Above all others in character, importance, and excellence. Is God supreme? Does he have a will? In the term of what we're talking about, is it being accomplished in the earth? Will it be accomplished in the end? From beginning to end. Let let me just say this, and I'm going to tie all this together toward the end here. But let me just say this. God's will will be fulfilled whether you want it to or not in a general sense. Okay? Now, this is going to get interesting as we go here, so you need to... Really hold these thoughts in your mind, okay? Because, you know, some people think, well, God's not sovereign. The truth of the matter is he is in many ways. Well, he doesn't control everything. The answer is you're right. He doesn't control everything. He doesn't control everything. There are actually three wills operating right now in the earth. There's God's. There's Satan's, and there's yours, or humanity. We'll just put it like that. And they've been operating since the garden. And God's will has not changed. The question is, will we cooperate with him? Or will we cooperate with the enemy? So... This is, this is going to be an overview, like I said, but, but it'll make sense as we go. So, uh, verse 34, let me read it again. For his dominion is, from, is an everlasting dominion. Is it everlasting? So, in the sense of God being God, is he ever going to die? No. He's going to keep functioning. Okay? And his kingdom is from generation to generation. Is it? Let me ask you a question. Did the will of the Lord change from the first generation of the Israelites to the second? Did the first go into the promised land? Did the second? See, his will will be done. 
It's just a matter of finding somebody who will will with him. He will not change. He says, I'm the God I change. And so we have time on the earth in our generation. But what is God? He's from generation to generation. We're right here. You know, we're just an itty-bitty greasy spot in the middle of the whole thing. And we can either cooperate with that or not. Will God's will still be accomplished? Yep. Nobody started him. Nobody can stop him. Now, you can stop him in your individual life. But overall, nobody's stopping God. Nobody is. And, and we'll look at this right here. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven. It, does he do according to his will? Yes, he does. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can what? Restrain his hand. I want you to see this. The word restrain or no one can restrain his hand means to strike in pieces. It means to smite. It, 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 uh, it implies, the word implies means to kill. To kill. Was the devil able to stop Jesus by killing him? <laughs> Nobody's going to stop his hand. Uh, you know what I love about the Lord? Even when we don't follow his plan, he still can fulfill his plan. Now, he'd prefer that I followed. But he is supreme in that he'll still do what he's supposed to do. All right, you're seeing it, right? You're, I can tell you're getting it, okay? No one can stay his hand. He does according to his will. What does that mean? He does according to his desire. He does according to his will. You know what I love about this? Because I actually, a lot of times when people say, well, it was the sovereignty of God and what they're speaking or the will, you know, uh, God just does what he wants. And mostly what they mean by that, they're talking about destruction. I don't think of it that way. I think Jesus went into a city and healed them all sovereignly. Because it's his will. It's his hand. Sometimes he healed people, you know, like the, uh, the, we talked about this, the pool of Bethesda. There as the spirit wills. The gifts of the spirit are as the spirit wills. What did he do? He walked in there. This guy's not even looking to Jesus. He didn't even recognize who Jesus is. He's just going, dude, the pool's going to move. Get out of the way. I, I need somebody. Well, can you pick me up and throw me in when the water moves? And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. It wasn't like that guy was walking up to Jesus going, Lord, if you can, I know you can make me whole. What is that? That's a sovereign move of God. It's God demonstrating himself in mercy. You know, the scripture talks about healing mercies. That's not an act of faith on our part. That's God coming into a situation and just going, releasing sovereignty, sovereignly mercy through the whole area. And people are getting healed, delivered, and set free. In other words, when God comes through the area, it's this act, and people go, whoa, what just took place? And it's the goodness of God in manifestation. So he says here, he goes on to say, verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counsel and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, this is Nebuchadnezzar. An excellent majesty was added to me. He says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Well, we know that from scripture. <laughs> okay. Now why would, why would is, it, is it God being mean when he puts somebody down who's in pride? He's trying to save them. If God has somebody who's prideful and he comes against them, why? Is it because God's just angry? He's trying to save his creation, right? So that's what he does. He'll come against. He'll hit them. Okay. 
in the sense of come against their pride and say, look, you're going in the wrong direction. Let me help you with something here. You may think you're this, but in reality, without me, you're an animal. You can lose that place of understanding. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Now, I'm not talking about the, the evil stuff, okay? I'm saying everything that we have, heartbeats, the ability to think, a body, a mind, you, we would not exist if it wasn't for God. And we need to understand that because humility will go, oh, I got it from you, Lord. And you recognize grace, okay? All right. So, with that being said, that's where that sovereign statement, that idea comes from, is that God, in a general sense, overarching everything, he made it all, he owns it all, he is the man. Who holds the universe? God does, right? He is, not only is he in that sense, so defining sovereignty, you understand that. He is, I want to say it one more time, just so we, before we go into omniscience. I want to read this definition, or this part of this definition one more time. He is above all others in character, importance, and excellence. He is above all others, hands down. Okay, let's look at omniscience. So omniscience, if you don't know how to spell it, it's O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Omniscience. And it means infinite knowledge is what it means. Omniscience means infinite knowledge. Psalms 139. I'm going to go there. Psalms 139. We're going to look at some scriptures tonight. Verse 1 through 4. Omniscience means infinite knowledge. Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Now think about that. Seven billion people on the planet. He knows when everyone sits down and rises up. There's no way he's not the supreme. I don't even know, I mean, it's not like I, I don't even know when my own kids sit down and rise up. You know, you think about God knows the number of hairs on your head. Seven billion people, and he keeps track of that? I mean, to me, that it doesn't express like controlling or, or uh, some sort of weird thing. It expresses love. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you stand up. He watched you walk in. He watched you sit down. Come on, you need to think about this. This is comforting. I've used this. I preached a scripture when I was a youth pastor, and I had the kids stand up and sit down over and over again. And every time I did, I go, God saw that. And then I make them stand up. They thought they were in Catholic church. And then I make them stand up, and they sit down. And they stand up, and they sit down. I say, God saw that. In other words, you need to have this understanding in your mind. God sees you wherever you are, so therefore you're always safe. Come on, you're never lost because he didn't lose you. I mean, even Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, but God still knew where he was. Right? <laughs> he has searched me and known me. Come on, that should be fearful in a good way. You know what I mean? He searched me. He knows me. Do you know... Uh, have you ever done this? Have you ever talked to somebody and you're talking about a, spe a specific something or other and, uh, and they're telling you something, but you know they're not telling you the whole thing? You can't do that with God because he knows it. You might as well just say it because he sees it because he knows when you stand up, he knows when you sit down. That's comforting. I like that. Then he goes on to say, you know, uh, you understand my thought from, a from afar off. That's a good thought. He knows. He sees. He understands, okay? Now, if your image of God is cranky and judgmental and critical, some of this probably won't bless you, but that's just not my image of God. If he does have to come correct me on, any, on anything, what do I know about my father? He only does it because he loves me, and he has something better for me. 
And he knows I'm going the wrong direction, right? Okay. So, you know me, uh, uh, you understand my thought afar off, you comprehend my path and my lying down. He knows when you lie down. He, said, he says, and are acquainted with all of my ways. He knows all your good ways and all your stinky ways. He knows them all. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Isn't that good? People sometimes think, well, I don't know if I want all that. It doesn't matter. It's there. It's happening. Yeah, well, it makes no difference whether you want it or not. He knows. He's watching. Nobody's ever alone. He sees. In other words, he's omniscient. Two aspects of God's all, all, all knowledge are emphasized in the scriptures. First, nothing happens anywhere of which he is ignorant. Man cannot hide either his actions or his thoughts from God. Let's go to 2 Kings 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Where's 2 Kings? Where are you at? That's right, yeah. 1st, 2nd Samuel. 2nd Kings. There we go. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 5. Man cannot hide either his actions or his thoughts from God. If Gehazi's dishonesty and deceit were known to the prophet of God, they were certainly not hidden from the omniscient one. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophet have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Now everybody understands what this story is about, right? In other words, uh, Naaman was just healed of leprosy. Uh, Elisha actually didn't even go out and say hi, um, which irritated Naaman, but he got over it and healed at the same time. So that was good. And uh, uh, he offered all these clothes and money to Elisha, the prophet, and, and he said, no, keep it, see you. And Gehazi went, he got uh, greedy and said, I'm going to go get some of that stuff. And so he, he goes on a lying spell. How I many know it's a bad idea to lie? I mean, he just, you know, people sometimes wonder. They think, they think you know, if, if we really had miracles like they did back then, then people wouldn't lie anymore. You're wrong. They still would because people have that nature. They choose. Jesus had miracles like nobody's had yet on the planet. And they killed him. People say, well, that was because it was predetermined, predestined. Part of that is true. But what I'm telling you is the heart of men is the heart of men. Some will choose to repent. Some won't. It's the nature of it. Because we have free will. And I'm really praying about that because I want to understand that. Anyway, okay. So, uh, verse uh, 23. So, Naaman said, please uh, take two talents. And he urged him. And bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. Now, I bet he did. He just got healed of leprosy. I'm, um, what kind of giving mood was he in? I mean, if you just got healed of an incurable disease, what kind of mood would you be in? It's like, I don't care. I got my health back. I could care less about this money or the clothes. And so he gives them. To Gehazi, the servant, and uh, where was I at? Verse uh, 24. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand, stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. In other words, he did this all secretly. He says, now he went in the house. Um, now he went in and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, this is not a good idea. This is a bad idea. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the men turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen and male and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. In other words, how did Elisha know that Gehazi did that? Because God knew. Because God's what? Omniscient. He's all-knowing. Nothing happens. You go back to Psalms 139. You sit up. You stand up. He knows. You sit down. He knows. Gehazi, did Gehazi have to do what he did? No, he chose to. He chose to follow a path that he wasn't supposed to. And it cost him big time. God brought to light in judgment the deceitful schemes of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. I'm excited for the day when the body of Christ is excited about uh, reading and, and feeding on the word of God. I'm not talking about us here. I'm just saying in general. I know we are. But I'm excited for that day when that becomes a high priority again in people's lives. It's a big deal. Uh, Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Who filled Ananias' heart? Satan did. Who did Ananias lie to? Can I ask you a question? Can you lie to God? Because <laughs> he's what? He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows. I love this. This is so, uh, uh, it's comforting to me because even if men lie to each other and even if they lie to each other about you, you know God knows the truth. How many of you have ever been in that situation before? I've been in that situation more than once and there was a certain amount of comfort that came to me that I just knew that God knew that my heart was right. And I knew he would work it out. And that's a big deal. That's a good thing to know. So he says this. Um, he said, uh, why did you, he said, while it remained, was it not your own? In other words, they didn't even have to give it. But they chose to lie about part of it. They should have just come and said, hey, we sold a piece of property, we sold this possession, and we decided we're going to give half to the church. But they were trying to make it look like they sold the property and gave it all. In other words, this is for, this is for position. This is for posterity, you know what I mean? They were trying to make it look good. They were trying to put on airs, so to speak. And so, in the midst of this, Peter doesn't call it a lie to him he, or to the church. He calls it a lie to the Holy Spirit. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon those who learned these things, I guess. You start dying during the offering, I guess everybody's going to... Have a little bit more respect for what's going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wonder how many people would die today. You know, I actually heard a minister say one time, uh, this was at Bible college. He felt like the glory of the Lord hadn't poured out to the degree that he, they had seen here. He said because he felt like maybe there'd be some quick judgment too. Because there is so much looseness in the body of Christ that the, that the presence of God coming would cause a lot of people to exit quickly. Or at least some, I guess I should say. Maybe not a lot. 
Hopefully not a lot. Now, as uh, it says this, then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. It was a youth fundraiser. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. They didn't even tell his wife. I mean, what kind of system was this back then? You know, nobody called the ambulance. It was just bury the dude out back. His wife showed up. Don't tell her. (laughs) Okay? So she shows up, and she doesn't know what happened. And Peter answered, tell me. He didn't even tell her. He didn't go, oh, Sapphira. Oh, we're so sorry. He didn't even go there. He just goes right to her and says what? Tell me, did you sell the land for this much? I mean, this must have been a big deal. These are the shouting scriptures, right? Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men, you know, this is a great lesson for the young men. I mean, now they've buried two liars. That'll teach you not to lie. You know why you're digging the hole? How'd they die? They just lied to the preacher. You're kidding me. No, that was it. Lied to the Holy Ghost. About what? They sold a piece of property. Didn't tell him the correct price that they sold it for. Really? Yeah, really. Grab her feet. Okay. (laughs) See, we don't think about it this way. I'm so thankful the Lord gives me this stuff. But we don't think about it that way. We just think, okay, yeah, she died and they went and buried him. No, these are the young men. These are teenagers be like, okay, Elijah, Nate, Caleb, this lady just died. How come? She lied to the Holy Ghost about the amount of her offering. There's a whole, we got a gravel spot out in the back. Go pick her up. Go bury her. But see, what I'm saying is, can you lie to God? He's all-knowing. Not to mention what revelation is coming to these young people while this is happening. This has a consequence. Who's the dude in the hole already? Oh, you weren't here earlier. That's her husband. In other words, God knows. He's all-knowing. And then who did he let know? Peter. That's a blessing. Here's a, here's a, this is, first of all, what if we took up offerings that way? You come and laid them at the preacher's feet. Would we be totally unbiblical? No, we wouldn't, would we? You say, you're going to do that. No, I'm not going to do it. But I'm just saying, have you ever thought about it? When you're reading it, are you sitting, are you, think, are you allowing to w- what's being said and what's being shown in the scripture to absorb into who you are and realize what's going on? Because it's a big deal to the Lord that you don't lie to him about your, you know, if you only want to give 50%, you go to him and go, Lord, I'm just going to give 50%. At least you're honest. He'll accept that. Amen? And so God is omniscient. He knows all and he sees all. Oh, that was fun to tell that story. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. How many know everybody kept their word after that? Yeah, at least. You know, people talk about the move of God and they say, you know, we want people just going to flood into the building. Well, here they stayed away after this. So which is it? You say, why do you think this way? It's the word's fault. I am not just a straight line. Oh, you know, it's all this way. I realize that there's more than one side to these things. And that God is supreme and he can do things a lot of ways. 
In other words, I'll just put it to you like this. The thing that is most popular in the body of Christ right now that God is emphasizing or what people are emphasizing as far as the body of Christ moving forward, in 10 to 20 years from now, it'll be different. I guarantee it. And it's a matter of recognizing and being a part of the wave that's moving, and I totally understand that. But at the same time, I am not one that's going to get so fixated on the moment and try to live there forever. I'm going to flow and grow with the Why? Because he is, he, is, he is supreme. He's the most excellent. He knows the best way. And he has a will and a purpose and a plan, and he's moving it forward. It's my responsibility to follow that. Amen? And yours. Amen? In the letters to the seven churches of Asia, the Lord clearly describes not only their actions, but also their inward spiritual condition. You can read that. I'm not going to read it. In Revelation 2, 1 through 3, 22. All things are present to him. In other words, he sees it all. So even in the middle of your situations, what does God see? Everything. Everything. If you're in situations that are difficult, which everybody has different levels and times, seasons, and all that stuff of of situations. But no matter what it is, does God see it all? He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. The scripture says that he's touched with the feeling of your... Right. So don't treat... Don't think of God as sovereign like, whoa, he's out there and who knows what he's going to do. Think of him in terms of this. He's omniscient omniscient with care. Come on, think about the scripture in the New Testament. Cast all your care upon him because he... And that word means what? He affectionately, he, he feels you. <laughs> you feel me? You know, you've ever heard this? <laughs> he feels you. You feel, he feels your pain. So that should help your faith draw off his grace for your situation. Amen? There should be, it should bring comfort to you, understanding that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful. He is all-strong. There should be strength and faith should come from that. Not this sense of ambiguity about God, like, well, I don't know, you know, stuff just happens. And it just all happens and we don't know and, and, you know, well, you know, God's in control. That just, to me, uh, to me, part of me goes, you're not even trying to understand. That is a, that's a statement of frustration birthed out of emotion, maybe fostered in a condition or a situation that you're in, and you don't know what to do, so you throw out religious platitudes. You throw out religious sayings that you heard somebody else say. That doesn't help somebody. Um... We need to understand who God is and what these things mean so that we can properly represent him and not leave somebody in a place of faithlessness and hopelessness. It's not fair to them, and it's a misrepresentation of God when we can clearly see who he is in his word and through his son. Amen? Okay, so secondly, God is also wise in his plans and purposes. He knows all things from the beginning. He has, in his wisdom, planned the redemption of his people, the building of the church, and the triumph of his kingdom. For example, in Ephesians 1, 8 through 10, wherein, Paul says this, wherein he hath, actually I'm going to go to the, that's the King James Version, and it's a little thee and thou, and ist and oust and all that good stuff. (laughs) So I'm going to read the New King James, but it says this, verse 8, In the New King James, which he made to abound toward us all in all wisdom and prudence, having been made, having made known to us the mystery of his will. So there's his will according to his good pleasure. There's some more of his will, which he what purposed in himself. He knows in advance. He purposes things. He purposes things in advance. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. In him. Now go to Ephesians 3. What does purpose, what does dispensation sound like? It sounds like he plans ahead. It sounds like he is 
uh, uh, all wise. He knows in advance. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. You see that? To the intent. Why did he do it? Because he's random and things are just happening and we don't know why. He is what? He is intent. He is intent. Okay, Uh, uh, where am I at here? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the what? Eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, no that's it, First, for, through verse uh, 11 there. So we see he, he had eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus. If it's an eternal purpose, when did it start? It's eternal. Does eternity have a beginning? When did it start? It's just been. See, now that'll trip your natural mind. That'll mess with your head. Why? Because you think, what do you mean? I was born on this this day this year, and people die on... See, we think in terms of the generation we're in. God thinks in terms of, I've always been. I've never not been. I've always known. God has never... You're not enlightening God. God's not in heaven going, Oh, that's what that means. You know, all this time. Thanks, Rick. (laughs) Thanks for enlightening me. No, no, no. He's known already. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He's supreme knowledge. He's omniscient. Amen? It is encouraging to know that God in his wisdom has made plans that he will carry to completion in spite of the freedom of will and choice he permits man to exercise. That's comforting to know. Amen? And when we love him in his wisdom, he works all things together for good. Romans 8.28 Who does he work it together for? Those who love him. Yeah, Herb. Yeah. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, we get the opportunity to exercise within his will. We get the opportunity to say, Lord, conform my will to your will. I yield myself to you. Does that make sense? You have free will. All right. Sovereignty. Let's go over this one and then we'll wrap it up. This is, this is out of that book as well. So this is not the definition of sovereignty. Um, this is a commentary on this. So you'll enjoy this. It's, so now you've got to pay attention now. Okay? <laughs> don't, just, don't just let your mind drift. It says this in the book. We have already under the previous heading discussed God's sovereignty over nations and the unseen realm. Some treatment at this point should be given to the age-long controversy over God's sovereignty versus man's free will. Paul writes in Ephesians, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. When were you chosen? Before you were ever here. Long before you were ever here. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Does that sound sovereign to you? Come on. I need you to agree with me. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. You know, you're clinching. Quit clinching. I'm not going to leave you in one spot. If God chose you before the foundation of the world, was that his will working? Did you have anything to do with that? Then it's a sovereign decision. It's a supreme decision. 
Come on, think. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having, come on, predestined us. I don't believe in predestination. I do. It's in Ephesians 1. Predestination is there. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Watch this. According to the good pleasure of his will. Whose will? Your will. His will. That'll challenge your thinking, won't it? This passage seems to infer that everything results from the will of God. On the other hand, let's just make it fun, shall we? John, in Revelation chapter 22, quotes Jesus in his final appeal to man. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen. So now we've read a scripture that declares God's predestined will for you. And now we've read a scripture that declares you have to will to will. You have to will to the will. In other words, God has a predestined, supreme plan that will come to pass. The question is, will you be in his will? Now, let me ask you a question. If you don't will to do his will for you, personally, does it change his overall will? Nope. He's still going to do what he said he was going to do. Why? He doesn't need my permission to do it. He doesn't. Now, he'd prefer my cooperation. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't. He, he will. You people say, well, God would never just walk. He wouldn't, he wouldn't allow somebody to go to hell. What do you mean by that? He will allow you to choose hell if you want it. He absolutely will. I can prove it by Jesus. Jesus walked away from the rich young, or the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus. And Jesus didn't go, wait, 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 come back. I was just kidding. Hundredfold will come. Hundredfold, hundredfold. Did he do that? He did not. Why? Because the hundredfold is not as important as the man's soul. And if Jesus would have baited him with a hundredfold, all he would have done was reinforce the idolatry that the rich young ruler already had in him. And there would have not been a true conversion. Because God's omniscient. He sees it. He knows. Come on. This is where, this is where true repentance happens. When you get down into the insides of who you are. And you go, Lord... He's like, that's in there. And you go, I don't want it there. That's where true repentance happens. Okay, let's read another verse here. Um, this passage clearly states that the water of life is available to anyone on the basis of choice and human free will. Unquestionably, the doctrines of election and predestination are in the Bible. On the other hand, we have the words of Jesus while he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together and ye would not. That's in Matthew 23, 37. Who would not? They wouldn't. What was God's will? I want to come on. Let's group hug. That's what he's saying. And they said, no, 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 we don't want that. Did it change God's will for them? No. Did it change the outcome of their life? Yes. So in other words, God is, his will is still moving forward. Here we have the expression of two different wills. If God were in control of everything, this, this verse would have, have to read. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered thy children together, but it was not my will. 
No, wait a minute. You say, why do you say that? Because some people say, well, God is in control of everything. Everything? He decided what you ate for breakfast? He decided what clothes you wore today? He decided which way you drove to the church? He's in control of everything? If God were in control of every decision, how can he hold you accountable for you making your decisions? He cannot. That idea is insane. Biblically, it doesn't make sense. You can't, there's no end to that rabbit hole if you think in terms of that. Well, it's just some mysterious thing that's happening. No, it's not. It's not some mysterious thing. Usually there's a reason, you know, people will say this, there's a reason for everything. But then they leave it at that instead of finding out why. You say, well, this shouldn't bother you so much. It bothers me. For one, it's a mischaracterization of God. The other is, it's just spiritual laziness. Do you know people will leave questions in their hearts and in their minds for years? And they'll just kind of flippantly, oh God, just show me. They, they won't really pursue the answer. When you really pursue an answer from God, there's always a satisfaction that comes to your heart. And the question is settled. I have never truly questioned God on a thing and walked away from it. Now, there are times where he said to me, it's none of your business. But you know what? That was enough to satisfy my heart because I heard him say it to me. Okay? And again, John 5.40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. And again, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. In truth, the Bible teaches both positions. God is sovereign, but not arbitrary. Okay, arbitrary means random or on a personal whim. God is sovereign, but not ran- he's not arbitrary. He's not, he's not in heaven going, mm, I like Shane, I don't like Neil. I just want to give Shane all these good things and then, ah, I don't know about Neil. In other words, it's not, well, God must just like you and not me. No, no, he loves everybody and has the same abundant blessings for all. But we have to cooperate with that will. Amen? So, Man has freedom of choice and will with certain limitations. What do I mean by that? What, what might those limitations be? We're almost done. We cannot choose to go to heaven if we reject Christ. Well, I got free will. I'll just do what I want. I'm going to go to heaven anyway, and I'm just going to reject Jesus, live however I want. I'm going to heaven. You're not getting past God. He's supreme. You see the, do you see the balance there? Okay. You say, you're making it, it's too simple. It's really this simple. We cannot choose the blessings of God and reject obedience. Sorry, that's not how it works. We cannot choose to sow sin and reap righteousness. Well, I just want to reap righteousness, so I'm just going to live however I want. But I, I choose, I have a free will, I'm just going to choose these blessings over here. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. We, there is limitations to our free will. Okay, there's limitations to it. Our inability to reconcile the two positions does not make one position or the other untrue. Our inability to see how both can be true at the same time is due to our finite human comprehension. God can be sovereign without violating man's essential freedom. Can't he? Oh, yes, he can. All divine truth is in a sense paradoxical to us because our vision of reality is only in parts, at the most 180 degrees. Divine truth is a full circle, 360 degrees. You know, sometimes people say, well, I have the mind of Christ. I see everything the way God does. No, you don't. Well, I have an anointing from the Holy One and I know all things. You know all the things you need to know. You don't know all things. (laughs) That scripture is not... We need to be careful with this idea, especially us in the group that believes the promises of God and we accept these promises. We need to be careful that, they don't, that we don't think we turn into God, lest we turn into God. You know what I mean? 
you know, and, 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 and have this idea that we're, we see everything. I could not handle a minuscule amount of the knowledge that God has in his fullness. You say, what do you mean by that? My physical body would explode. It wouldn't be able to handle it. Can you imagine trying to handle 7 billion people? <laughs> okay. Samuel Frisk, or Fisk quotes Charles Spurgeon as saying, Brethren, be willing to see both sides of the shield of truth. Boy, I like that. Rise above the, baby, above the babyhood which cannot believe two doctrines until it sees the connecting link. Have you not two eyes, man? Must you needs put one of them out in order to see clearly? It's <laughs> a good argument, isn't it? Must you needs put one out? Well, I just don't see it. Well, you better gouge that eye out. Then maybe you'll see it clearly if you have one eye. It doesn't make sense. Dr. R.A. Torrey, and I'm finishing with this, in the following sets forth foreknowledge as the basis for reconciling predestination with man's freedom of choice. He writes, The actions of Judas and the rest were taken into God's plan and thus made a part of it. But it does not mean that these men were not perfectly free in their choice. They did not do as they did because God knew that they would do so. But the fact that uh, they would do so was the basis upon which God knew it. Foreknowledge no more determines man's actions than afterknowledge. Foreknowledge no more determines... A man's actions than after knowledge. In other words, just because God is all-knowing doesn't mean he's all-deciding. So in other words, God can be omniscient. He can be in heaven and know all things. He can see all things. He can know the end from the... But that does not mean he violates your free will in the middle. Okay? It doesn't mean that he violates your free will. To me, this makes sense. Foreknowledge no more determines a man's actions than afterknowledge. Knowledge is determined by the fact, not the fact by the knowledge. Okay? God knows from all eternity what each man will do, whether he will yield to the Spirit and accept Christ or whether he will resist the Spirit and refuse Christ. Those who will receive him are ordained to eternal life. If any are lost, it is simply because they will not come to Christ and thus obtain life. Whosoever will may come. And all who come will be received by Jesus. Just because God knows what's going to happen. Doesn't mean he decided every little detail in our lives. We have choice. We have freedom of will. And honestly, your mind trips over that. You know why? Because you ain't God. <laughs> and neither am I. And let's be honest, do you really want to know when seven, pe 7 billion people stand up and sit down? No. Do you really want to know the amount of hair on everybody's head on all the planet? I think we just leave that up to the Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, as we move forward in this, here are some of the phrases that I want to deal with. God is in control. My question is, of everything and everybody? Because if he is, there's some mean buggers out there. And there's some terrible situations. You know, a tornado will rip through a trailer park. And a, a three-month-old will get killed. And people say, well, God has some plan in it. No, he doesn't. He has nothing to do with that. We're going to go to back to Genesis 1 and look at it again. You're telling me God has a plan in killing a baby with a tornado. That makes no sense to me. None. <laughs> God's ways are mysterious. This is usually said because we don't understand something that has happened. The unrest or not knowing can be resolved, though, through hearing from God. Everything happens for a reason. But oftentimes the implication is it's God's fault. I don't think that's good enough. The scripture actually talks about the fact that we can lengthen or shorten our days. So everything may happen for a reason. It's like the church sign I saw one time. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason I was, is I was stupid. 
okay? God has a purpose in all of this. Well, in a general sense, I guess you could say somewhat that's true. But most of these statements are made when we don't know what to say because the situation's difficult. That's not good enough because it hasn't been thought through or, or prayed out or studied. It hasn't been brought all the way to its completion. To me, these statements are not thought or studied through. My purpose here is not to just go after a bunch of sacred cows. My purpose is to look at the scriptures and allow them to teach us. Father, we just thank you for your goodness tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you're helping us understand these things on a greater level so that we can be a greater witness for you and walk in truth and light, being an honor and a blessing to you. I bless you, Father, and I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.